Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 15 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Shar. And I'm Kelly. And this week, we accidentally watched another movie from the Conjuring universe. We watched The Curse of La Llorona from 2019. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we created this drink to start off as one thing, but then become something entirely different. Um, which is entirely because we didn't know this was part of the Conjuring universe. <laughs> yeah, that was a bit crazy. It was um, surprising. <laughs> we freaked out so much that we had to pause and rewind because we missed everything after the reveal that this was part of the Conjuring universe. Because we were so shocked that yes. we just had to freak out about it. It was incredible. <laughs> I thought it was supposed to be like more of a gritty, darker horror. And then it was like Warner Brothers popped up. I'm like, okay, it's going to be kind of like a summer jump scare movie. And then like halfway through, it's like, hey, here's Annabelle. And we're like, what? What? So going with that theme, I made the drink this week and I call it the drowning ice cube. Nice. I was going to look up how to say that Espanol, but I didn't. And I I'm, I'm OK with that. <laughs> I mean, neither of us actually speak Spanish, so I apologize in advance for any m mispronunciations of names, folklore. I had yeah. to learn it a little bit when I lived in the States because... That's true. Is it, It's their second language, right? I mean, they say it is, but you know. <laughs> wow, this drink is good. Thank you. It's... Um, it's very strong and yes. very sweet. And... I like I you when you handed it to me, you were like, you have to take a sip right now and then slowly sip it. And I can tell that you made something very fancy yeah. with this little ice cube in here. So the idea, like you said, is that the drink is it's kind of like a strong bourbon drink with a little bit of sweetness to it. Mm -hmm. um, and I added a little bit of uh, spice as well. So it's basically like a Kelly drink to begin with. It's very like dark and robust. But then just to spoil it, uh, I put a creme de cacao ice cube. So I made a ice sphere that was hollow and then I filled it with creme de cacao and refroze it so that like the outside is ice water, but the inside will release like a flavor of chocolate into the drink. That's intense. Yes. That's a lot of effort. I'm was, proud of you. <laughs> not that you're lazy when it comes to making your drinks. You're definitely not. But that's like this might be one of the most complicated ones you've ever made. It's like the um, chemistry cooking what the fuck is that called that micro cooking no what gastronomy i think it's like micro gastronomy it's the idea of like finely cooking your food to like the goddamn molecule oh i had a friend who used to do it and it was basically like your temperatures have to be like picture perfect and this is for making like a goddamn steak and each each piece of salt has to be hand placed and you use like nitrogen and shit to infuse flavors into so your food. So it's extra fancy and hard to do and probably worth it yeah, or not. I, I don't know. <laughs> How long does it take you to eat a steak? Was it worth the 17 hours to make it taste like that? I do understand like taking a nice amount of time to properly prepare like a fancy meal, but I wouldn't do that all the time. No. And definitely not in the, the molecular level amount that you're talking about. Yeah. So but it's not exactly really like that. I am. I am a fan of this. Has the chocolate started seeping in yet? It has. And <laughs> I like there's a cinnamon stick in here, too. So it's extra 
It's kind of, it feels like a dessert drink, which is nice. I don't think we have that many dessert drinks this season. No, not really. Especially one that looks like this, which just looks like a a sipping cocktail. Wink. You know what it kind of reminds me of? It reminds me of the um, s'more old fashioned that we had earlier in the season. Oh, yeah, that's true. It does. And it has none of the components of that in it. Yeah. I don't know how they got the like marshmallowness though in that. It's true. Actually, an old fashioned is bourbon, so it's got a little bit. We're just giving away the whole farm. It's fine. There's some <laughs> secret ingredients for the patrons. Patreon.com slash drink and scream. You can get a digital downloaded cocktail recipe card. <laughs> That's a weird way to say that, but you know, you know. it's because this drink is so strong. What did we watch this week? Oh, I mean, did you want to know the dark side of why I made it like this? The idea was that it's like when we watched this movie and then it showed up to be the Conjuring movie yeah. and changed the movie for us overall. Yeah. But the fact that it, the ice cube has a little bit of sweetness on the inside and it dissipates into the water, it's supposed to be... Is it child? It's a drowning child. Oh boy. <laughs> child murdering only on drinking and screaming. <laughs> and with the curse of Lil Lorna. Yes. Lil Rona. Oh, yeah. I do have to apologize. Last episode, I said it would be the curse of La Lorna. I don't even know how I said it. La Lorna. La Lorna. La Lorna. Curse of La Lorna. I missed an O. So it's, yeah. This week, we watched the curse of La Lorona, which premiered on April 19th, 2019. It's directed by Michael Chavez, written by Mickey Daughtry and Tobias Iasconis. Yaconis? How do you say that? We always have one name that we can't pronounce. You've won, <laughs> Tobias. Ding, 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 ding. It stars Linda Cardellini, which was such a nice surprise for me, but I'm getting ahead of myself, as Anna, the loving single mother and social worker, Raymond Cruz as ex-priest Raphael, Janie Lynn Kinchin as daughter Samantha, and Roman Christou as son Chris. Again, I apologize if I have mispronounced any of these names. Now, thank you so much to Pizza Pants, who is a patron and listener of ours. You submitted a novel of a synopsis. Holy cow. I'm so glad you put so much effort into this. Uh, we're going to take a sip of it. And here's goes. Here's goes. Here's goes. In the latest century in the Conjuring Cinematic Universe, widowed social worker Anna is investigating the truancy of Patricia Alvarez, two's young sons. The two boys are found locked in a closet decorated with eyes and other symbols. Patricia demands they stay locked up for their own safety, but Anna suspects that they are being maybe abused. After Patricia attacks her, Anna takes the children to a shelter where she discovers burn marks on the youngest son's wrist. They claim it wasn't their mother, but another woman they only refer to as her. <gasps> dun, dun, dun. I'm going to have to improv this like I did with The Shining now, aren't I? Aha! Oh, no. Take it away, Kelly. Uh, the boys are then attacked by her, who takes them away and drowns them in the classic L.A. river that you see in such movies as Terminator and Drive. The fake one that no one that I imagine garbage washes up in. You know, just improv in this reference here and there. You don't talk down to yourself. Keep going. Thanks. At the scene of that crime, Anna's own child is imprinted by La Lorona, who then terrorizes her children in her old 70s station wagon, which was a terrifying scene. Yeah, they she tries to roll down their windows and the kids have to like, Well, just the son. The daughter's like, what's going on? I don't see anything. Over the course of a week, I think, the kids are terrorized by Lilorona, who has now imprinted herself onto the daughter as well. And spooky jump scares ensue. Woo! 
Uh, we get the classic horror trope of Anna doesn't believe her kids. Her kids don't give any information. It's a whole back and forth of being attacked by La Llorona. Uh, Anna looking for help. You know, that old chestnut. Plus, there's the whole thing of her boss being like, you know, you're a single mom. Yeah. You're is, tired. You can't do your job good. Which is always tough. She attends the funeral of the two original children, finds out about uh, smudging and cleansing her soul and talks to one of the priests who um, who works in that area. Over time, she eventually sees Lolorona herself, goes to the priest for assistance, who reveals that he is the one from Annabelle. He recommends the guy from Breaking Bad to help her clean the ghost from her home, who doesn't seem to really know what he's doing, but he uses techniques that we've never seen before in the Conjuring series because it's not Ed and Lorraine doing it. It is a new hero who's joined the Conjuring cinematic universe. Including rubbing eggs all over the walls to prove how consumed this home is or they are. We're going to talk more about some of these dope ass rituals. A climactic encounter with Lilarona happens in their house with dude from Breaking Bad, Velma and her children. (laughs) They fight off the ghost only to be attacked by Patricia, the original mom. What? More combat happens and they eventually fight off the ghost using Christianity. Yay! Uh, Much like every Conjuring movie, it ends with a stinger that's not really a jump scare stinger. It's just maybe something will happen. And then we we drift off away from this happy family that has defeated yet another ghost. And we say ghost, but it's a demon. Is it a ghost, though? I thought it was a demon. But it's a person that used to live. Oh, yeah, you're right. I thought they... Oh, that's true. That is very Conjuring. Oh, I want to talk about this because we're like... We've seen all the conjurings and yeah. we know the we know the minute details. So I think of, in my brain I'm like, it's the conjuring, so it's gotta be a demon. But you're right, it is in fact a ghost. Hit me with that trailer audio. Do you know anything about La Llorona? The weeping woman. It's a folktale. To some. Who did you try to stop? That trailer was basically the whole car scene. Yeah, which is interesting because the Conjuring's main trailer is the clapping scene. It's kind of fitting with the same idea of like showing a A a sequence. Yeah, yeah. But kind of subpar, I guess. I don't know. I didn't really care for that trailer too much. Which is interesting. I hadn't even seen anything about this before watching it. And that trailer would not have sold me on it. I would be like, eh, let's skip it. That's the thing. It kind of would have sold me if I connected the dots that it was James Wan and The Conjuring. Right. Because like at this point, just give me any new Conjuring and I'll consume it. Yes. I don't know. Yeah. Like if if they didn't have that one thing that said produced by James Wan, I would be... Eh, I'd kind of be a little bit off on it. I don't know. There's just something about the whole composition of that trailer that felt off or felt cheap, I guess. Yeah, I agree. Which the movie did not give off that. It was very high quality. It looked expensive. Yeah. But well, some scenes didn't. I don't know. We'll talk more about it. But um, yeah, not a great trailer. Yeah, I agree. Kind of just like a, a... C plus. Meh. Yeah. Just like a sea bass. All those sea basses. <laughs> so uh, what are your thoughts on the 
movie, which name we have trouble pronouncing a lot. Yeah, I'm glad that the trailer said it for us. But uh, as I mentioned earlier, my first point is that I really love Linda Cardellini. So this was an excellent surprise for me to have her in this movie as the leading role of the mom. Mm -hmm. She's got experience hunting ghosts. Yeah, as Velma from the live action Scooby-Doo movies, which is my entire (laughs) older childhood. (laughs) Um, But she's really gone on to do some amazing things like this film was great uh, branching out for her. She's also in Dead to Me, which I'm watching the second season of right now. Um, And in that she plays like a very eccentric woman who's in an abusive relationship and Oh, she's fabulous in it. But she was also fabulous in this film. I found her very believable. She also split up Corey and Topanga. That is, was she a teen in uh, I believe so. World? And she ruined the best relationship that I ever knew growing up when I was a kid. Oh, boy. Corey and Topanga were the parental figures I could look up to because they stuck together. <laughs> and that that hussy came between them. Oh, what was the resolution of that? Do they get back together? They always get back together. Phew. I'm pretty sure Girl Meets World is Corey and Topanga's daughter, so it makes sense. Mm. Sorry, I just had to pause there because I'm sipping this amazing drink. My ice cube is fully melted, so it is now a chocolate old-fashioned. It's so desserty. I really, really love it because most dessert drinks, it doesn't do that thing where like it coats your mouth so thickly that... It's like very sticky in your mouth. Yeah. It still has the sweetness, but it's very easy to drink. It's very smooth. I usually have trouble using amaretto with any of our cocktails because it becomes too syrupy. But something about the combination of bourbon and and amaretto, again, spoiling anyways, but... (laughs) Something, you don't know the amounts we use. Something about like the sharpness of the bourbon like cuts through the syrupiness of the amaretto and it becomes like a drinkable thing. As one would hope for a cocktail. Hell yeah. <laughs> but the one thing I mentioned that Anna is a very believable mother. But my next point is that this movie really, really suffers from the this would be so much easier if everyone just fucking communicated yeah. trope. Classic sitcoms. Oh, man. So the kids have multiple interactions with this ghost and they just don't tell their mom, which is kind of like in if I just say that, that makes sense. But we don't see that Anna is a bad mom. She has a lot of communication with her kids and like an open line of communication is what I meant to say. So it doesn't make sense to me that they wouldn't want to tell her. Yeah, she's like busy, but they the kids are just kind of framed as we don't talk to our mom because I'm too busy watching Scooby-Doo. Yeah. And then when Anna meets the ghost, she also doesn't tell her kids about it, which that kind of makes sense to me because you don't want to scare your kids because you don't know that they've seen this thing sure. either. You hear that, mom? If you see a ghost in the house, <laughs> don't tell the kid about it. It's not based on anything. Oh, no, of course not. Hi, Colleen. <laughs> so that dynamic just didn't seem right to me. Yeah. And that was the only thing that I, I'll i say I didn't love about this film was that I felt it would be scarier and more believable if they communicated well and they still couldn't really fight off this ghost. Yeah, because there's a whole subplot about her husband being dead. And I kind of I was thinking about it. I'm like, if the kids were like, I saw a ghost, was she just were they afraid that she would be upset because it's like maybe they're talking about their dad. But there is no real connection between dead father, murder, ghost and the kids not telling Anna anything. Yeah. Like at no point could they should have like had a scene where the kids were like, we saw something in our room. It was a ghost. And Anna's like or like Anna goes to one of her friends and is like, oh, my kids are so sad. Their dad is dead. They're seeing ghosts now. And. 
tell the kids like everything will be all right. Yeah. Pat, pat, pat. Or there could have there's so many things they could have done. Like the kids could be playing make believe often in the house. Yeah. And like telling their mom about it. So she just thinks it's one of those things. But, but then you run no. into the situation of um like paranormal activity where it's like the, the really young girl talking to her imaginary friend is actually a demon. Mm. I think it would have been, yeah, I don't know what I would have liked better because they constantly show that her son is kind of like rule breaking. He wants to be a cop. So he's like breaking the rules to like try and be powerful. He's yeah. a man of the house. Now he actively breaks out of the car to go see the dead bodies because he, he's like, I want to see what an investigation looks like. And that's where uh Lorana gets him. But like, I don't know. None of that really translates well into not talking to Anna about what they see or even giving her a chance to like turn them down, I guess. Yeah, it was weird. And especially when your kids have been acting strange and then you see a ghost in the house that, you know, is a ghost because you saw her like teleporting around your house to have your kids be like, what's up? And you're like, nothing. It's fine. Don't worry about it. It was really annoying. Yeah. And then the last thing I want to highlight is something that I loved about this movie which is the opening of the film. They really set up Anna's character well in like three minutes time less than that. Uh, we see how caring she is. We see that she's such a hardworking social worker. So she is very empathetic towards her own kids and the kids that she's trying to help. She's very understanding of single parents and just in general, like parents going through hard times with their kids and like struggles that they might be facing. And I love that because the single mom trope is done so frequently in horror. So if it was done poorly, it would have really stuck out as a sore thumb. Yeah, she was never really like the damsel in distress ever. And she was really powerful with her work. Like she was getting turned down from helping Patricia because her boss was like, oh, you've got kids and your husband's dead. You're too busy to do your job. And she's like, hey, guess what? Fuck you. I'm going to go to Patricia's house. And then like a cop comes with her and she's like, hey, you stay outside because a, a sad mom isn't going to talk to you. Yeah, you're a cop. But yeah, I really agree. I think Anna was a really strong character and having the actress who plays her. Linda Cardellini. Having Linda Cardellini play her like she's really good at being like a powerful character. Yeah, she's so believable. I've never once been like, that's Linda Cardellini. Well, I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, I, she's so believable no matter what she plays. And she's quite a looker. I loved her. She's really, really pretty. And I loved her fashion in this movie. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's set in the 70s, which was also surprising. Mm hmm. I guess it like, I don't know, ghost ghost stories set before the time of social media and make more sense. Phoning people real quickly is yeah. so good. But yeah, she's got that. She's got that 2019 fashion because I'm pretty sure 70s fashion is in again. <laughs> I don't include, I don't know. We don't go outside. Yeah, I don't include I didn't I specifically didn't say 2020 because no new fashion has been made. <laughs> My brain forgot it was 2020. Yes, exactly. <laughs> And then I just wanted to also talking about single mothers. It was also very cool to see the mom of the children that die in the beginning of the film and her arc of basically going to this ghost and like trying to help the ghost and praying to the ghost. Oh, fuck yeah, so hardcore. To take Anna's kids because she wanted her to feel the pain that she felt. And then re eventually realizing after she's gone through her stages of grief that obviously this is fucked up and you wouldn't want that to happen to anyone. Yeah. Um, so having her go to these extreme ends of her spectrum was very cool. It actually makes me think more about it, too, because like the Conjuring one mostly focused on the wife character being like overpowered by the demon and she becomes the 
um, damsel in distress and the Warrens come and they're mm-hmm. a, te- a power team that fights off the demons. This one was like a strong mom meets her limits, knows where her limits are, and then seeks out this like bad priest who doesn't seem to know what the fuck he's doing. Yeah. And through her own efforts, she saves her children just out of like listening to what this bad priest suggests. But like every step of the way that like Lilarona like defeated them, the priest was just standing there and he's like, uh, I, I don't know. I don't know, guys. Sure. Sure. Didn't plan to see her at all. Oops. But we did. Done goofed. And she's like, <laughs> hey, give me your cross so I can stab her in the heart. It was pretty badass. I like that. Yeah, I agree. I, I like I know that it doesn't make sense. Oh, no, wait, it does. Oh, my God. OK, so here's what I want. Since Ed and Lorraine's main story focuses around like the 70s and stuff like that. Yes. I want Anna to become like an apprentice to Anne and Lorraine. Whoa. And she. But that would be total fiction. I don't give a fuck. (laughs) That would be cool, though. I want. I think they're both dead now. So I probably talked about this in The Conjuring, how I feel like these movies are basically like Marvel. Yes. Yes, you did. (laughs) Yes. I want. I want. I want Nick Fury to walk out of the shadows, walk up to Anna and be like, I'm making a demon fighting team. And you're on it. <laughs> and you're on it. We've got this. We got this power couple. Ed saving, and Lorraine Warren. Saving kids. Yeah. She's, she'll be down for that. And then um, guy from Breaking Bad walks up and he's like, can I join too? And Nick Fury's like, I guess we, we always need a Hawkeye. <laughs> <laughs> this is his first like big role outside of TV. Yes. And it took me a second to recognize him because he looks much older and a little bit chubbier now. As that happens with age. And when you don't have to get super jacked and to be a warlord. Yeah, like a drug addict <laughs> warlord. We're going to take a moment to talk about our socials and sponsors. This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you by you. That's our right. Listeners. You. That's right, Daryl. It's brought to you by you. <laughs> Kevin. Uh, (laughs) which is funny most of our listeners are women Um, hi Sarah I don't know but thank you everyone that's been listening thank you to all of our patrons who have been donating pledging sharing the show online it really really helps us tell your friends tell your family make them listen just shove an episode into their ears that's right Sam (laughs) we're talking to you specifically (laughs) speaking of ears that's right. That's a segue. Oh, yeah. Stay home, you ghosts that try to kill your children because they've gotten corona. Wow, that got dark real quick. <sighs> We're still in a quarantine, even though some people are acting like they aren't. We had people having a party across the street, which kind of pisses us off because uh. even if you don't know somebody who's immunocompromised, uh, they exist and you are putting them at risk if you go out just willy nilly and don't. Bye. Practice social distancing. Don't do the minimum of gatherings. Just hang out with your family and don't drown them in rivers. Yeah. Wash your hands. Wear masks if you do have to go outside. Deliver when you can. There's so many options available. We live in 2020. The future is now. And we do recognize that being able to isolate is a privilege in regards to other communities that are less financial. That's not who we're yelling at right now. (laughs) (laughs) We're not... If you get offended by this, we're yelling at you. Yes. (laughs) 
Yeah, definitely. Like if you're forced to go outside, like we totally understand. It's the people that are having parties across the street from us and we can actively see like 20 people in their fucking apartment. You assholes. Fucking assholes. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter <laughs> at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. You can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. And we have a discord where you can have a little conversation with us at bit.ly slash hopped up discord. I also wanted to take a moment to re-talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash drink and scream. We have a lot of digital downloadable cocktail recipe cards on there. There's bonus episodes. There's behind the scenes photos. We're really pumping out the content on there. And also, dun, dun, dun. I made a website. Yay. Which is funny because I finished it before I wrote our ad segment. So we don't even need to say all the follow us, blah, blah, blahs. Just go to drinkingandscreaming.com. All the info you could want of where to find us anywhere is on there. There's our transcripts. There's all sorts of stuff. Links to our best episodes. Yeah. All our guests. Just go. Images. Just click on shit and then tell me what is not working because it's brand new. Hyperlinks. <laughs> I believe there's some JavaScript going on in the background. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> so yeah, go go look at the website I built and help me fix it if something is wrong. <laughs> this drink is making me tipsy. Me too. Back to the episode. <laughs> Do you have um, some specific points you would like to tell me? I have a few. My first one is it's really weird that we didn't know this was part of The Conjuring. Yeah. I almost wonder if it was Warner Brothers intentionally not marketing this as like a specific part of The Conjuring universe because it wasn't actually that good. What? The The movie wasn't good? It was compared to the other Conjurings. I would think that this I would say personally that this was one of the worst ones. Oh, I like this better than The Nun. That's true. I feel like we were drunk when we saw The Nun because no. I don't I don't remember a lot we of it. We saw it in theaters. I remember Frenchie. I remember them getting stuck in an abbey. And that's about it. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> like the, the strong Anna character and the like new style of fighting demons. That's with, true. I, yeah. Maybe I'm wearing rose colored glasses because Linda Cardellini was in it. And yeah. I'm like, I stand her so hard. <laughs> I think the most rad part of this movie was... We've always talked about how cool we think it is that they use Christianity as like a D&D weapon. Yes. Like it's it's not like faith and I'm like faith. It, it's uh, how do we describe it? An animal comes home. It was like spells. It was just fucking spells you cast. You don't have to like believe that God is your savior and accept Jesus Christ and shit like that. Yeah. You just have to believe so hard. And there are like rituals that you can do to set everything up. Yeah. And the idea that like it's always Ed and Lorraine means that it's always kind of like this technology based sort of like uh, white Christianity method of defeating the ghosts. Yeah. But this is not that. And it was fucking awesome to see like a a new subclass of demon fighter. And I love yeah, subclass demon fighter. Yes. <laughs> and like, cause it's brand new stuff. It's like using, what was it? So this is kind of getting into one of my later points. Anyway, go for it. No, before we talk about that, I wanted to talk about my original point, which okay, is that okay. I really, really, really hope that it wasn't like a racist decision to, to say that like, this is, not for the white audience of The Conjuring. So we're not going to market it as The Conjuring. And I do genuinely hope that it was kind of like, 
we're not too sure how this the quality of this movie pairs up with The Conjuring, so we're not going to market it. But we do know that in general, when um, Paranormal Activity... Yes, I was going to mention this. Okay, go for yes. it. Yes, so specifically, like, with Paranormal Activity, we know that, like, the Hispanic population fucking devours, shit. like, horror movies like that. Yes. And they even, like, changed the plot of... Uh, they geared it towards yeah. that crowd because it was so, so like, successful Paranormal there. Activity, like, takes a huge pivot. And... Which is like almost I think like maybe this was what they were going for with The Conjuring, which is why I hope it wasn't a decision at the last minute to like pull back a bit. And I hope it was a quality decision. Yeah, because you can really tell like James Wan has a way of directing these Conjuring movies that make them still feel like money. And this one just kind of felt a bit loose and and almost like haunted house more than normally what The Conjuring is. Because every jump scare was Which just is true, though, because it's not a demon. It, yeah, exactly. It is a ghost. But it's all just like her jumping out of the shadow and reaching her arms at you. Yeah. A lot of the like tick, tick, boom stuff, like the jump scares were like wah, wah. they're really bad because even the conjuring, which is the first one, has elements of like the kids acting weird, not seeing stuff happen. Like it was a lot of combinations of different styles of jump scare. And this one just felt like it was look at the shadow and she'll jump out of it. Or like the camera tilts down and then it tilts back up and she's there. Like there were so many instances of that. Yeah. It just felt kind of cheap. But something that was great while we were watching. I don't know if this is one of your points, but when the kids, the two kids that die, the original pair of brothers when they were in the shelter and they wake up in the middle of the night and they're Oh yeah, that is one of my facts. Oh, okay. Oh, a fact. We can talk about that though. Yeah. So while, as we were watching the film, there's a mo- a scene where the kids are in the shelter and one of them gets woken up by something and they're staring at the corner of the room and then they're trying to wake up the brother. And both we both turn to each other and we're like, oh my God, this is very much like the scene in The Conjuring, which is funny because we had just watched it for drinking yeah. and screaming. Like the layout of the room is the exact same. There are two beds. There's two kids. The youngest one is seeing this ghost. And like, we didn't know it was part of the Conjuring universe. So at like, the time we were just like, oh, that's funny. It's like the Conjuring. Ha ha. What a nod. So weird. And then after when we when it was revealed <laughs> that uh, uh, was it Father Perez is yeah. from the original uh, Annabelle. Not a father. Was Oh, sorry. You're right. No, never mind. I was trying to make a. Not a robot. Yeah. Joke. A, but a then good, I failed because to... I was thinking of a different character. He's a father. <laughs> Um, but yeah, when we see that Father Perez uh, was the one from um, Annabelle, yeah, which like again, it's been so fucking long since we've seen Annabelle, and they all do kind of blend together. Like we should have noticed that it was him when he first popped up. Yeah, well, I recognized him, but I just thought like, oh, this he's guy, an actor that he's like typecast, you know, as a priest. Yeah. But so, in my head, I didn't connect those those dots. Yeah. So like. So that's on me. It <laughs> is obvious when you watch the movie that it was designed as part of the Conjuring. It's just part of the Conjuring series. But the marketing felt so disparate from that because it doesn't make sense for, for them to be like, it'll be a surprise because that's a marketing disaster. That's that's such a stupid risk to take. And yeah, you're. Fans of the series will go because it is The Conjuring. Yeah, exactly. Just for that reason alone. So to ignore that is very odd. So I I nail it down to either racism or they didn't like the quality of it. So they kind of pulled back on the marketing. They probably spent less money on marketing. I don't know. I couldn't find any definitive facts about that. So it's why I brought it up for discussion rather than. Yeah. To talk about that, like another angle of that, when I was trying to find a trailer, generally I like to go for the teaser trailers or like a minute or 30 second trailer 
because a lot of longer trailers just drag and there's a lot of silences. But when I was trying to find trailers for The Curse of La Llorona, I couldn't find anything besides the two minute long trailer uh, or just the like ending screen of like water slash tears and like her crying. And it says La Llorona. Yeah. So it is it. They didn't seem to put that much money into marketing for this. And I don't know why. And I hope that it's the latter and not the former. But who's to say anymore? America. It was the same year that Annabelle Comes Home came out. So maybe they focused more on advertising that since it's an Annabelle uh, and not like a side character that wasn't in any of the other movies yet. Yeah. But yeah. Who's to say? We don't know for sure. So take everything we said with a grain of salt. Exactly. We're just here to drink and talk about this movie. (laughs) My next point was about the jump scares, which we already talked about. So I'll skip it. All right. They weren't that great. (laughs) Um, My final thought was that I just kind of wanted to discuss the curse itself because it is based on a real thing. Tell me more. So it is a woman that fell in love, had a kid. Like this is a historical like telltale. Yeah, it's like a folklore. That's Um, the word. Yeah. Yeah. And it's specifically from Mexico. So it's a woman named Maria that falls in love with a guy, has two kids. The guy falls out of love with her, still likes the kids, then sleeps with a woman. And then she gets upset, kills the kids as to punishment for him, then realizes what she did, drowns herself and dies. So very exactly what is said. Yeah, that's always the core of it. Sometimes the man is like a traveling conquistador. Uh, Mm. Sometimes when she dies, she's not allowed to go to heaven until she finds her kids. Sometimes a demon approaches her when she dies and tricks her into finding new kids to replace the souls of her children. But generally the fall in love, have kids, kill the kids, kill yourself are like the main core elements of it. Yeah. And a lot of parents use it to keep their kids inside at night so they don't stay out too late. Which is exactly what you said as we were watching. You're like, I bet this is one of those, yeah. like, it's the boogeyman's gonna get you. It's like, stay under your blankets because LaLorona can't get you there. Yeah. Um, and the, uh, there's like a few variants. Like some people say that if you hear her crying far away, she's actually close to you. And if you hear the uh, cries close to you, she's actually far away, which is terrifying because what do you do? What do you do at that point? <laughs> Do you run away when she sounds closer or do you run away when she sounds far away? Who knows? But yeah, it's all about like kids don't stay outside. This she'll get ya. I'm actually kind of bummed that they didn't go with the angle of a demon tricking her because that would fit into the conjuring completely. Oh, of La yeah. Llorona herself. Like they just chose the one where when she dies, she doesn't go to heaven and she needs to replace the souls of her children. Yeah. But I like the idea of a demon tricking her to get the souls of her children. Yeah. Because then it does play with the like dichotomy of is she a demon or is she a ghost? And mm-hmm. there's a lot of like ghosts in the Conjuring universe that are tricked by demons or like used by demons. Yeah. Like spirits, even real life people. Yeah. Unless I'm thinking of the one with the old lady again. No, you're right. Okay. It's not Insidious. Because I know Insidious does more of the like, you can astral project and stuff like that. Yeah. But uh, The Conjuring is like, it creates a clear divide between like, what a when a person dies, they become a ghost. And when a demon comes to earth, they're a demon. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And I like the idea of maybe incorporating uh, one of the main demons from The Conjuring into the ending of this. So like when she kills... La Llorona for the final scene. Yeah. Maybe she's like, finally, I'm free. And then you see like a glimpse of the demon, like losing his hold on her. Oh, that would have been so cool. Be radical. And it would be such like a huge thing for fans who are like, well, what's this side character? Like, who cares about this yeah. random woman 
who we've never heard of before and has never been mentioned in another movie. But then as she's Which dying, was like the nun, it might as well have not. been like conjuring semicolon. The, the nun. nun. Yeah. Um, huh. So what I'm like, what I'm saying is that there were elements of the original curse and the folklore that they could have probably used to incorporate the like main fold of the conjuring into it. But again, I'm kind of worried that we were, they were like, let's leave it open ended. So maybe we don't have to because this might not be that good. Who knows? I hope that's not what it was. I really hope not. I hope we get to see Anna again. <laughs> yeah, I would watch The Curse of La Llorona too, because there was they definitely left it open. But they left it open in the way that like most Conjuring films end. Yeah, we kind of pan and maybe she's still alive. Who knows? But the, we didn't see anything, which is always what happens in the conjurings yeah i don't know there is there's not a nun to they kind of left it open that the like the priest could come back because he's kind of he's not a peer of ed and lorraine because clearly he doesn't know what the fuck he's doing but he could be like a a progenitor the non-priest yeah the non-priest okay yeah the guy from breaking bad yeah uh because he's kind of like how ed and lorraine must have started out yeah i agree that's true so we can see him come back his character was very, very strong. Yeah, I like the idea of this is my first time, lady. I don't know what I'm doing. It's an origin story. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yes. Um. Anyways, that's generally my feelings about the movie personally. I feel, wow. I mean, this generally, I don't know why I get surprised by this because it happens almost every <laughs> episode we do. But after we have these long discussions, I'm like, oh, I just want to watch it again. Like, I love this movie. I don't want to watch this one again, to be honest. It was really slow. It was oh. a slow buildup. And I didn't think that the payoff was much, was like that worth it. Other than being able to write down the cool shit that they did to fight her off. Are you ready for scaredy facts? I feel like we haven't done it the reverse in a while. Yeah. Where I make the noise. True. So I made the facts for this one. I'm I'm so excited. I invented the facts. Hey, guess what? There's not a lot of facts about this movie. Oh, no. So sorry to ruin your disappointment. Dang it. Which Uh, is interesting. It's been over a year. You would think that people would care enough to write them. But who knows? So for those of you who don't know, our scaredy facts section is a mirror image of Shar and I's relationship where every time we're introducing you into our relationship, (laughs) where every time that we watch a horror movie, we get so spooked that we have to go to IMDb and look up trivia to make it not real anymore. It's totally fine. Tell me all of how the prosthetics worked. Yeah. And then Shar falls asleep really quickly. Shut up. So starting out with the budget, as we always do, this movie cost about $9 million, which at this point is pretty standard, actually, for the Conjuring movies. Yeah, it had the money. Yep. <laughs> uh, oh, I've got an addition to one of my facts about the money, and we're going to talk about it. Oh, boy. So the opening weekend of this in the States was $26 million, which seems Jeez, low. Jeez, but... I mean, I'm always like astounded when it's it was a nine million budget and then they like quadruple but here's, more than quadrupled their money. Here's the thing. Weekend. You specifically wrote the U.S. The States isn't where this kind of movie excels. Yeah. And it wasn't even really targeted at people in the States. So I've got information later on, but it did much better outside of America. It's cumulative worldwide gross is $123 million at this point. There we go. All right. All right. My first actual fact, I'm going to go, I'm going to talk about the budget stuff later on. 
but my first one is hilarious, and I totally remember hearing about this. Tell me. So in a theater in Montreal, Quebec, <gasps> which my I've, hometown. I've heard of that. <laughs> uh, they were supposed to play Pokemon, Detective Pikachu. But after the trailer for Annabelle Comes Home, Joker and Child's Play were featured. This film played instead, causing the children in the audience to run out crying. <laughs> I'm not even... My jaw... Like, I wish... There are a few times that I wish that we had a visual medium, and this is one of them, because my jaw literally dropped. It's so awesome. <gasps> oh, my gosh. Which is interesting, because obviously you know that tailors are, tr- are tailored... <laughs> trailers are tailored that's hard to say for the movie that is about to come because obviously you think that audience would be interested in similar films so, <laughs> so you're sitting there with your kid and like this spooky trailer for annabelle comes home comes up then this political mirror of joker and then horror film reincarnated Luke skywalker as a tiny toy <laughs> Um, yeah. Oh, man. Gotta love it. I wonder if it was Cinema Guzzo, my favorite theater to dunk on. (laughs) Our favorite Shark Tank man. Yeah. Dragon's Den. That's it. Canadian. Oh, God. So great. So fucking awesome. Oh, God. My second uh, fact is that the scene with the two boys is a reference to The Conjuring. We already talked about that. Oh, what do you know? Um, Both the layout of the room and actually a lot of the shots are extremely ripped off from The Conjuring. Ripped off, homaged, whatever you want. Let's not say ripped off. It's the same universe. Yeah, the director's like, man, James Wan is my producer. I got to impress him by copying a scene. (laughs) I am glad that you are saying his name correctly, as every time that he's been featured in our podcast in the past, I've said James Wan. I mean, we got to look at Annabelle Comes Home and see if we got it right the first episode. I don't I don't know. I apologize. My third fact is, is that this is actually the second film in the Conjuring universe that does not feature or reference Ed or Lorraine Warren. What's the other one? Uh, Annabelle Creation, because I don't think Annabelle Creation ever has like a modern day stinger. It's always in the past. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, So this is this marks the second one that they just never mention Ed and Lorraine, which I think is fine because then it would be like, why aren't you going to Ed and Lorraine? And you're going to this this bad person that sucks at getting rid of demons. But what is it that in the scene when the priest is like, oh, uh, this doll, Annabelle, blah, blah, blah. It's just him walking out of the hotel. But does he already know Ed and Lorraine? I don't know. Because Ed and Lorraine were part of Annabelle 1, weren't they? They have to be, or at least they're referenced. Yeah. Unless it's at the end. I think uh. Uh, I think Father Perez deals with Annabelle first, and then they go to Ed and Lorraine when like things are kind of dying down a little bit. I'd have to watch it again. Yeah. But um, that's interesting, though. Yeah. Huh. The scene with uh, Annabelle is literally just uh, Father Perez walking out of the hotel and then the classic shot of like zooming in on Annabelle's face. Mm-hmm. I just in my mind now, I'm picturing the Raggedy Ann doll now. I The real one? Like I'm doing the scene in my head, but I'm replacing the like new ceramic one that they made with Raggedy Ann. And I don't know why. It's very strange. I love seeing pictures of the real Annabelle. We're getting a bit off topic, but because then seeing how they recreated her case and the sign on her case and everything is very cool. Everything is identical except for the doll, which they made horrifying. Yeah. I like the idea of just like a the conjuring with all of its dark grittiness. And then Annabelle's just a fucking raggedy Ann doll. 
<laughs> oh yeah, my addition to this fact is it's actually the first one that uh, doesn't feature a antagonist that was in a different movie because that's what the, we're, we always talk about is how they create this lore it's about like very convoluted. Yeah, but they'll like create this lore of an antagonist and then branch off if people like it. Right, like the Crooked Man and yeah. stuff, which I'm still waiting for. They have to do that. And like how all of Annabelle comes home is literally just setting up multiple options. I want my fairy man. I want I want my samurai suit that makes you hear war crimes. <laughs> but uh no yeah, this I think this is the first one that they're just like fuck it. La Llorona. Uh we've never talked about it in a previous movie. Nobody knows what it is. And that's fine. Take a risk. So on to the money stuff. This is actually the lowest grossing movie in the Conjuring series. Which, like, again, no, duh, you didn't market it as a Conjuring movie. Yeah, and it seemed like they didn't, there wasn't a lot of hype. Like, I hadn't, this is a big budget movie, a big budget enough that we would have really heard about it. Yeah. And I've heard it in passing, but it was never like, gotta go see The Curse of La Llorona. I think, like, that's why I thought it was, like, a... Yeah. Like a a Netflix original, Mm -hmm. like, darker one. Like, it's gonna be, like... The ritual, like I'm going to be so scared coming out of this movie because it didn't get marketed as anything other than that. Yeah. So that actually made me think if this was the lowest grossing one, I wanted to look up some of the data about uh, the Conjuring series. Okay. Have you read the next line already? I have not read anything. Okay. What do you think is the highest grossing one? If you had to guess of all the Conjuring movies, what's the highest grossing one? Uh, Annabelle Comes Home. Nope. The Conjuring? The first one? Nope. It's The Nun. And you know uh, why? Because they marketed the fuck out of that movie. Yeah. Go, I didn't even love The Nun. I kind of hated it. The Nun made $248 million. But here's wow. something funny. The Nun has the lowest ro- Rotten Tomatoes rating. And that's what I mean. Like, it wasn't even that great. I, I think just people wanted to go see it and they didn't like it. Yeah. I don't know. And that's the thing. Like, that's like how I feel about our podcast. Like, I wish we had the money to budget to, to actually marketing. advertise and market it well. Because H- I help just us need market people so to we know. Can, help us market so we can be The Nun. The Nun, the shittiest movie of the country. We're the shittiest podcast. <laughs> Um, okay, so here's a staggering number, and I oh, I can't believe it. In total, the Conjuring series has almost made $2 billion. What? <laughs> Which, I mean, is still like 100,000% less than Jeff Bezos has. But overall, this series has made Warner Brothers $2, million, or $2 billion. Wow. And it has cost them $140 million to make. That is wow! unbelievable profit. I'm so glad you put those two numbers next to each other. Say that one more time. So, I need to take it in. So every movie in the Conjuring universe, including La Llorona, cost $140 million to make. Yep. And they have made $2 billion off of them. $2 billion. That is unbelievable. That Holy is fuck. so much money. It is like so much money, which is why they keep making them. <laughs> There's a film critic and box office expert named Scott Mandelson. Uh, He works for Forbes and he has called the franchise the first successful post Marvel cinematic universe, which is. Oh, yeah, I could see that. So like that's exactly what you've been saying. Basically, the reason why I love it. Yeah. (laughs) But it is. It's a whole universe. Yeah. There's so much lore. The Conjuring lore, like you could go down the rabbit hole on YouTube of people explaining this to you because watching the movies, we've done it at least once, multiple times for several of the films. 
it's so convoluted and there's so much going on, but it's so interesting. And they're all laced in such a way that like you want to know more about like Ed and Lauren's adventures. You want to see the Crooked Man. You want to know about the nun. You want to know all of these different demons and their adventures across the land. And I think they're also like, again, they're not approached in such a way that like these are pro-Christian. Gotta love fucking God. Great. Pray all the time. Like they're not preachy. They're just using religion as a superpower. It's literally these fucking superheroes that have God powers. It's so great. I love it. Yeah. Wow. So this is an incredibly successful series. And then to finish off my facts, even with the uh, comparably poor earnings of this movie next to the other ones, it actually did extremely well with Hispanic viewers, which like no shit. There we go. Yeah. (laughs) You made a a mainstream triple A movie in a multi-billion dollar series that focuses on a Fully Mexican folklore. People like seeing themselves represented on screen. Yeah, go figure. Whoa. So yeah, in the opening weekend, like the majority of the profits uh, came from like Latin America and other Hispanic countries. Good. Which is, yeah, that's great. But I wish you guys marketed it better so it would do, (laughs) so that it would do as good as The Nun. Yeah. Yeah. Those are my facts. That was interesting. I'm surprised. Those are good Holes for limited trivia. So yeah. good job. You fi- did some research. I figure like we did the conjuring already and didn't really talk about like the success of the series as a whole. So yeah. I figured since there's limited trivia for this movie, I would talk about that. Thank you. Do you have a final thought for me? I do. It's pretty simple. And I think we've talked about it a lot. Um, I would have been much more likely to see this movie when it released if I knew it was a conjuring movie. Yeah, we would have gone for like, sure. Harping on that fact, like. I'm hooked. (laughs) I'm hooked on the conjuring. It's a drug. (laughs) Uh, Like every time a new Marvel movie comes out, they market it as a fucking Marvel movie and I go see it. If they just said like La Llorona isn't a Netflix exclusive, like spooky, dark horror. It's going to be an adventure movie with ghosts because it's in the conjuring. I would have gone and see it. You fucked up Warner Brothers. Damn it. Mine. Also, we kind of already talked about this, but. It was just that I like seeing how different cultures fight off the ghosts and the demons in The Conjuring. It's a very interesting take. And yeah, I wish that more people saw it. Yeah, it is interesting because whenever we watch like a Japanese horror movie, they always have different ways of fighting them or like Taiwanese people have different ways. Like every culture has a different way of fighting off the bad spirits that they've invented themselves. It's just sad that like. The Conjuring is like the way that most people will see these things. And this is the first time that they've taken this risk of showing off a different culture. And I hope I would have hoped that they would do that more. But I feel like the non-success of La Llorona is going to push them back from it. Yeah. It's not even not successful, though. It's a huge success, but it's just not comparably. Yeah. Comparatively, it's just not as good, which is, oh, you've dug your own grave, producers. Yeah. I want like indigenous people fighting off ghosts. I want fucking, I don't know, Russian ghosts. I don't even know Russian ghosts. They must be hard. (laughs) Hard. They gotta be so hard. You gotta burn them with snow. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's been The Curse of La Llorona, a movie about listening to your parents, especially when they used to be Velma week we'll be watching alien from 1979 the episode we'll be releasing are you ready yeah on the film's 41st anniversary (gasps) whoa it's so old i planned it and remember always scream responsibly